Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for everyone who you have gathered here live and online to worship you, to pray to you, God, to make the statement with our lives and our time that we understand that your place is on your throne. And God, thank you for who you are. Ask that as we open the book of Acts again and look more at Paul's ministry, at the mission that you called him to. God, that you'll open our ears and our eyes and our hearts to hear what it is that you have for us. We know that all of us are gathered because you have something for each and every one of us. And so we ask in your Holy Spirit, God, that you would reveal that, that you would make it known to us. That's in your name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Acts 20. We're going to continue on in the book of Acts here. Uh, Paul is in the midst of his missionary journeys, but he's kind of he's kind of coming to the end of them in a sense, and that's part of what we're going to talk about. They make it real clear, and we're going to skip a couple parts that have a bunch of names and a bunch of places in them, but we're going to talk about why they're there. Uh, <clears throat> Paul's sailing. That's the easiest way to get around to where he's going. He's basically working from Israel, what we understand is Jerusalem. So if we were looking at a big map here, Jerusalem is down here. All of this is the Mediterranean. Paul's missionary journeys take him to the northwest up this way to the Aegean Sea. That's what he's been doing. Ship is the easiest way, the quickest way to get to where it is that he's headed. There are some problems traveling by boat, but it's the quickest way to cover the most amount of ground. And Paul is a passionate man who is on literally a mission to get the good news of Jesus out to the world. So he's working his way northwest, back and forth, into what we would kind of understand as into Europe. So starting out chapter 20, verse 1, when the uproar was over, what's the uproar over? Chapter 19, we talked about the uproar in Ephesus. There was a guy that was worried that he was going to lose his income because these guys were preaching Jesus and their false god, Artemis, wouldn't get the attention that they felt she deserved. And so there was all this trouble. They ended up leaving uh, Ephesus. It was kind of a frustrating thing. We also know that Paul, who went to the synagogue every weekend, took a group of Christians and actually went and started a church in a completely different building. We get the name of the building even in chapter 19. Because he said, you know, you aren't going to believe and all you're going to do is cause trouble. I'm not going to waste my time on you. Your future is on your hands now, not on mine. And he goes and he starts this church. So that's the uproar. Paul sent for the believers and encouraged them. One of the things that Paul does so well, it's why we have all the letters in the New Testament from him. Paul's an encourager. He's a teacher. He's a church planter. He is a tough, tough guy after the way that he got beaten up and had rocks thrown at and left for dead and all the things. He was tough, but he was an encourager. He had a soft heart. We're going to find out more about that soft heart today. But we hear twice about him being encouraging. Then he said goodbye and he left for Macedonia. While there he encouraged the believers in all the towns that he passed through. He said goodbye. It's an interesting phrase. We're going to find out why that's kind of a final goodbye for Paul in a little bit. I had a friend my first year of college, and he said, I only say goodbye to a person once in my life. And then when I understood what his reason was, I've kind of taken that on myself. He said, I say goodbye only when it's at their funeral, and I know I won't see them until heaven or when I need to write someone out of my life because they're not good for me. Goodbye was kind of a final statement for him. See you later. See you soon. But goodbye, he only used once. Paul says goodbye, and in this context, that's what he means. 
While there, he encouraged the believers in all the towns that he passed through. No matter what it was that Paul was going to face, he encouraged the believers. He wanted to be an example of the best of what it could be to be a believer in Jesus. And so he was an encourager. Then he traveled down to Greece where he stayed for three months. He was preparing to sail back to Syria when he discovered a plot by some Jews against his life, so he decided to return through Macedonia. Paul has constantly got people who are trying to figure out a way to stop the message by ending his life. We talked about last week, we talked about the week before, where the name of Jesus is spoken, where the gospel is preached. There's going to be controversy. There's going to be opposition. If you're not being opposed for your faith, you're probably not being very vocal about it. Now, not that we should necessarily look for opposition, but opposition is going to happen. Opposition is going to be there, and it's going to come from very strange places. Paul understood opposition. Going back to Syria, remember the road to Damascus is where Paul had that encounter with Jesus, where he went from being a persecutor of Christians in the church to being the greatest missionary and advocate of the church. So he's kind of going back to that same part of the world. Several men were traveling with him, and then it goes on and it lists a number of men's names and a number of places. We've talked about this before. Why is it important? Because the Bible isn't a fairy tale. The Bible is a book of facts. The Bible is a book of truth. And so as history records all of these events, it happens in other places than just the Bible. You can look back on old maps and hear other people's recording of it, and these places are consistent. They would have moved in the areas and in the ways that are listed in the book of Acts by Luke. What the Bible is doing is giving us one more indication that this testimony of the life of Paul and the apostles is true. So after the Passover ended, he boarded a ship at Philippi in Macedonia. Five days later, he joined them in Troas, where he says, Luke says, where we stayed a week. Picking up in verse 7. Now my Bible says this is Paul's final visit to Troas. We're going to see Paul's heart. We're going to read about things about Paul that we don't always see in, in other places. We're going to hear how it is that he has an incredible compassion and empathy and how serious he takes this mission call. But we also would understand this as what we would call today like his farewell tour. This is like the last visit that Paul is going to have with a lot of these people in a lot of these churches. If it was a music group or a a rock band, we'd call it a farewell tour. I just read Elton John is in the midst of a three-year farewell tour, no end in sight, but he decided he's not coming back to America anymore. That's not a farewell tour. That's just getting more tickets sold. Years ago, Deidre and I went to London to see Eric Clapton because we're Eric Clapton fans. And we were told it was the last chance to see him live. You can buy tickets every other day for him around the world ever since. His farewell tour has gone on for nearly a decade. The Rolling Stones started theirs in the 70s. Paul's farewell tour is serious. Because Paul is about a business that means absolutely everything to him because eternity is in the balance. And so when Paul is realizing he's visiting people for the last time, the things that he says are extremely important. I've got to imagine what his passion would have sounded like as he preached. We'll hear more about that in a minute. What kind of urgency was there in his voice? Paul had been on the other side. Paul knew what it was like to be an enemy of Jesus. But then Paul understood what it was to be a friend of Jesus. Paul understood what it was to be saved by Jesus. Paul is a living example of a man who is completely transformed by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. 
That should be a part of our testimony as well. And so when we think about it, we have no idea that we're not on our farewell tour. The next time that you talk to someone could be the last time that you have to talk to them. So what will you talk about? Will you talk about things or people? Talk about ideas or controversies? Will you talk about politics? Please don't. What will you talk about? See, we live like we're always going to have another chance. Paul realizes he doesn't. And the things that he says and the way that he says them are so important. We can learn something from that. If we think about living our lives on a farewell tour, that every conversation could be our last, what are we talking about? So it says on the first day of the week, first time that we talk about them gathering on a Sunday, we gathered with the local believers to share the Lord's Supper. What is it that Jesus said when He had the uh, Last Supper with His disciples? Do this in remembrance of Me. Remember the Lord's death until I come again. Paul took that seriously. Jesus' death and what it meant to them meant everything in His message in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So they shared the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. Now we're about to get into some of Luke's sense of humor, I think, here. My first call, I was warned, your sermon is 12 minutes long. That's it. You can't preach more than 12 minutes. Nobody told me why. So the first time I, I preach in, uh, about the 12th row in the second service, an alarm, a watch on alarm starts beeping at the 12-minute mark, I find out. There's an old guy that had determined, and he'd been there forever, he determined that a, sur- a sermon should be no more than 12 minutes long, and he told me, if you can't say in 12 minutes, you're no good, you shouldn't say it anyway. 12 minutes was the length of a sermon. Paul starts speaking, and he talks until midnight. The upstairs room where we met was lighted with many flickering lamps. Luke adds that to give us kind of an idea of what the room felt like. As Paul spoke, and I think this is Luke's humor, as Paul spoke on and on, is what the text says, and I think Luke wants us to hear on and on and on because it got to midnight and he kept on going. A young man named Eutychus, sitting on the windowsill. I have to understand what a windowsill is. Uh, There's no glass there, right? It's an open window. And so it would have been, you know, maybe a foot wide, but then there's a a sill, and then there's the sides, and there's the top. And he's probably sitting with his back to the wall in this windowsill, so he can be in this room, although on the very outside of it. Becomes very drowsy, it says. Finally, Eutychus, he fell asleep, and he dropped three stories to his death below. Now, I don't think the guy that insisted on 12-minute sermons was worried so much about people falling asleep or falling to their death. I've put people to sleep with my messages, but so far there have been no deaths recorded. So this is good. So far. I actually had somebody one time. (laughs) Dad and I were talking about this this week. He, uh, He said, good sermon after a Sunday morning. And I said, really? How do you know? Oh, I listen better with my eyes closed. I said, you were sleeping. Maybe we'd all hear you snoring. No, I hear better with my eyes closed. I love the guy. He was awesome. But he honestly tried to convince me that he heard best when he was sleeping. Uh, A couple of people after last service and a couple of you after this service will tell me the same thing. He fell asleep and dropped to his death below. True death. Not got knocked out cold, but dead. Paul went down and bent over him. Now, you've got to remember back to last chapter when the Bible said that God gave Paul the ability to perform incredible miracles. Paul was a normal guy, but he wasn't a normal guy at all. The Holy Spirit so indwelt and lived in Paul that God gave Paul the ability to do things that the rest of us can only imagine. 
And so it talks about him doing these incredible miracles. So Paul goes down to this guy, not feeling bad because it was his nine-hour sermon that caused him to die, but having compassion on the guy. He went and he bent over him and he took him into his arms and he said, don't worry, he's talking to everyone around him. Don't worry, he's alive. In the Bible, oftentimes we talk about people when they die that they're sleeping. This isn't the case. He's dead. But now Paul's saying he's alive. And they all went back upstairs And you know what they did? Because it's a new day, they shared in the Lord's Supper a second time. They ate together, and Paul continued talking to them until dawn. And then he left. You can say, well, what was Paul talking about? He told us. He tells us later on in the Bible that what he preaches is the same message everywhere he goes. He said, I preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Why? Because the salvation of human souls is why Jesus came to earth. Your soul is why Jesus came to earth. Paul started in the afternoon. He preached until midnight. He preaches on and on. The young guy falls asleep. He falls out of the window. He drops dead. Paul raises him from the dead. And he preaches on until dawn. And then he left. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the young man was taken home alive and well. And everyone was greatly relieved. We need to have a footnote. They were relieved not that Paul was done preaching, but that the young man was well. They're sad. Because they recognize what's happening, that there's a shift happening with Paul, this man who was so beloved. And I can only begin to imagine how passionate those messages must have been. What was it like to have spent this 18-hour period with Paul? What would it have been like to have heard him, to have caught that passion of his? They're in a room, and it's probably a small room. And they would have been able to hear and see and understand in an incredible way Paul's heart. And Paul's heart is that people know Jesus in a way that transforms their lives and changes their eternities. Paul preaching a day and a night. We talked today about a 30-minute sermon being a stretch. Imagine 18 hours. I've had friends who have gone to Africa. And in Africa, when they have church, they have church. When they've got someone who comes in and preaches, people come from miles around and generally they walk. They walk sometimes for days and they have a church service and it goes on all day and they feed people and it goes on into the night and into the next day. It can go two or three days. In the American church, we've turned our church services into the length of a one-hour TV show. Think about it. One-hour TV show. And then, you know, we break them up for like commercial breaks with music and message and things. And to preach for 30 minutes seems like an eternity to us. And yet Paul preached for probably 18 hours. But if you're talking to somebody for the last time, what are you going to talk about? What's your message going to be? What, what is it that they want you to, what you want them to hear? What is the last thing you would say to someone if you knew it was the last time you were going to talk to them? It goes on in verse 13. Paul went by land to Assos where he had been arranged for us to join him while we traveled by ship. It's fun reading Acts at this point because Luke, the author, who doesn't name himself, includes himself in the we, in the group. He's traveling with Paul. He joined us there and we saved together, sailed together and they name one place and then name another place and then they go to another place and then they go back again. And Paul decided to sail past Ephesus for he didn't want to spend any more time in the province of Asia. He was hurrying to get to Jerusalem. Remember, Paul was Jewish. Jerusalem was his spiritual home. It's where he grew up in faith as a Jewish man, trained as a rabbi, and where this transformation in his life happened. And he had such a passion for helping the Jews understand their own scripture to know that Jesus is the name of their Messiah. But that was where his opposition started. 
And he wanted to get back in Jerusalem, it says, hopefully, if possible, in time for the festival of Pentecost. This is an interesting thing because suddenly Pentecost means two different things to two very religious groups of people. To the Jews, Pentecost was the Feast of Weeks. It was 50 days after Passover. It was seven weeks of seven days. That was their understanding. In the Christian church, in the way to Paul now, Pentecost was the day that the Holy Spirit descended on on the disciples where they had tongues like fire over their heads and they began to speak in tongues and everybody who was gathered in Jerusalem for the festival heard the good news of Jesus in their own language. And Peter got up and preached and 3,000 people were saved and baptized. See, Paul knows that this festival, this day of Pentecost, is a significant day. There's going to be a lot of Jews that are going to be there for their religious reasons. But if he can get there in time, he can talk to them about his reason, of what most matters to him, which is Jesus. And so even though he had written the Jews off in in chapter 19 because they were not believing him and they were starting to give him a really hard time and the riot began, he said, you know what? Those of you who are believers, come with me. They started a new church in a different building. He still had a heart for the Jewish people. So when they landed at Miletus, they sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus asking them to come and meet him. Verse 18, when they arrived, Paul declared, You know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I've done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. This is where I'd say we get a little bit of an insight into Paul's pastor heart. Humbly and with many tears. What were the tears about? If you've ever talked to someone about Jesus who didn't believe, you understand tears. If you've ever had someone who you know and love who died before they gave their life to Jesus and believed in Him, you understand tears. If you ever sat down and shared the gospel with someone who made fun of you or mocked you or gave you a hard time and absolutely said they would not believe, you understand tears. See, Paul so completely believes in this message that he's preaching that he can't help but have tears as he cares for people because he realizes that heaven and hell are a very real place, both of them. And so if you have ever been out there and shared the gospel and loved someone and tried to share Jesus with them and they didn't accept it, you understand tears. It's not just for missionaries and pastors. It's for any Christian that lives out the good news of the gospel and tries to share it with other people. When they say no, it hurts. Because if you really truly believe it, if you believe that one day there is a heaven and a hell and we go to the place of our choosing and someone says, no, I'm not willing to believe in Jesus, our Bible tells us, where they're going to spend eternity. And that causes tears. And Paul is sharing his pastor's heart. He says, I've endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. He doesn't even go into details. But these Jewish people had plotted against him so many times, so many different ways. He had been jailed. He'd had rocks thrown at him. He'd been kicked out of town. He'd been left for dead. He had had people saying all kinds of things about him that weren't true. They had lied and cheated and they'd done everything that they could. And all that he says about it, I've endured the trials that came from the plots of the Jews. If you're preaching the good news of Jesus to anyone, You're going to endure trials because you're going to face opposition. He says, I never shrank back. I never refused to be anything but bold, he's saying. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear. And this is a key. In the church today, so many churches are structured, so many preachers want audiences that we tell people what they want to hear. Paul uses the word, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear. 
What you need to hear is you might be an awesome person, but you're a sinner. But that's not the end of the story. See, Jesus came along and Jesus died that your sins could be forgiven. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul tells us that he preached over and over and over what people needed to hear. And in the American church today, we need to get back to what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. All kinds of people will tell you, you're a good person, it isn't sin, there's nothing wrong with it, do whatever feels good. That's not what we need to hear. We need to hear the truth of God's Word. He says, I never told, I never I shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I've had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God, of having faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the salvation message. It's that simple. We recognize that we're a sinner. We confess our sin. We repent. We call on the name of Jesus. We give our life to Him and we receive salvation in His name. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's got nothing to do with us. And now he says, I'm bound by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to go to Jerusalem. Earlier on, we talked about how we heard Paul say, I want, I intended, as for me. There's different phrases Luke uses that give us really strong clues as to when it's a Paul preference thing and when it's a God-ordained thing. Now, everything about Paul deserves to be in the Bible because it's in the Bible and we can learn from all of it. But here he says, I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. God is working him in him in a way that maybe only Paul can understand. I don't know what awaits me, he says. Except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. We know from his past, Paul isn't a stranger to any of that. But the Holy Spirit has called him to Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit has told him, As you travel back, and it's not a one-day journey, you don't hop on a jet and get there overnight. It's stop after stop after stop after stop. And what lies ahead is jail and suffering. Why wouldn't he say, you know what, God, I did my part. Surely you can't ask any more from me. I've done more than anybody else I know. Instead, in verse 24, he says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work that God assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news of the wonderful grace of God. Kind of begs the question, what's your life worth to you? Is your life worth more than having people make fun of you for believing in Jesus and telling them about it? Is your life worth more than having people make fun of you because you come to church on a Sunday morning? Is your, is your life worth more than saving yourself the embarrassment of having someone say, no, I'm not going to believe in Jesus. If you need that junk, go ahead. I'm not going to. Paul says, my life is worth nothing unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the, work, by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. What are you living your life for? What is your purpose? What is your mission? We have a mission as a church. What is your mission? What is it that nothing else in the world matters as much as taking care of the business in front of you? Maybe it's building your company. Maybe it's earning more money. Maybe it's a home that you love and you want to take care of and maintain. Maybe it's a classic car. Maybe it's your family. What is the business that is more important than anything else in your life? For Paul, his life isn't worth as much as sharing the good news of Jesus. Now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom of God will ever see me again. There's the farewell tour. That's where he, he really makes it known. All of these people that he's met, all these people he's talking to, he said, I know that I'll never see you again. None of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. 
Talk about final words. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. He's saying there is a hell and there is a heaven. And if you end up in hell, it's not because I didn't tell you the truth. The job of whoever stands up here is to tell you the truth. We're all sinners. We're all going to get it wrong. But Jesus never will. And our job is to make sure that like Paul, we tell the truth. We declare the truth of Jesus. He said, it's not my fault, for I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. What he's saying is it's your decision now. Now you know the truth. Now you know what Jesus has done for you. What are you going to do in response to Jesus? Acts is about action. And there is a point, and Paul is here with these people, that it's time for their action. And so what is your action? Who do you believe that Jesus is? Who are you to Jesus? Because one day when we face judgment, that's going to be the question. The devil is going to spend all the time that he needs to tell God everything you've ever done wrong, every thought, every action, every wish, every everything, and it is going to sound bad. And then God's going to look to Jesus and say something like, do you know him or her? And Jesus says, yes, she's one of mine. He's one of mine. And that's the decision point. That's the point that the decision that you make about Jesus on this earth defines your eternity. And he says, if, if you suffer eternal death, it's not my fault. Because I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. When you declare all that God wants someone to know, when you tell that truth in this world, there will be opposition. People will make fun of you. People will attack you. People will do whatever they can to get you to stop. Paul says, I'm not backing down. So then he issues a warning. He says, so guard yourselves and God's people. He's talking about this people in this immediate area and, large, and the larger church. He says, feed and shepherd God's flock, His church, purchased with His own blood. He's talking about how precious this gathering called the way this Christian church is. Do you think of the church as precious? Do you think of the people around you in this place, Open Door Christian Church, as precious? It should be. You should think of it that. Not because we're special, but because Jesus is special. And our ability to be here came at the price of the blood of Jesus. That makes it precious. Purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know that, and when he says about leaders, he's not just talking to the leaders of the elders of the church. He's talking to everyone there. That's all of us. He says, I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave. He's warning them. He's not surprised. He knows what's going to happen. Not sparing the flock. See, when God uses ordinary men and women, and we're ordinary men and women, you might be extraordinary at something. You might be the best in the world at something. But you know what? We're ordinary men and women. And when God uses ordinary men and women, whether as pastors or people who call a church their home or as youth leaders or whatever it is that you do in your line of work and with your life, when God uses ordinary men and women to carry out His call in the world and to make a difference, there will be opposition. And there are some people on the outside and some people on the inside who will oppose it only because it exists. Only because God is using someone else, not them. And whether it's ego or fear or pride or whatever it is, there are wolves that will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Those wolves don't care one bit about people. He's saying they don't have a pastor's heart for you. They don't have a missionary's heart for you. They don't care about the flock. They only care about their own agenda. They care about their own pride and their ego. Even some men from your own group 
will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. See, here's the thing. Wolves love to criticize. Wolves love to complain. Wolves love to divide. Wolves love to crawl into the middle and say, I'm one of you. Don't you agree with me that this is wrong? Don't you think that they should? Don't you think what we really ought to? That's what wolves do. They divide. And and when they try to convince you to step away from fellowship with God's people, they're proving themselves to be a wolf. They don't create. They don't build. They don't grow. They divide and they kill and they destroy. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, he says. My constant watch and care over you day and night. And again, my many tears for you. My many tears for you. When someone gets to the point that it looks like they're going to accept Jesus, maybe someone gets to this point in their life and it's a crisis and they say, I need to do something different. And very quickly again, they start sliding away. Someone draws them back into their old life. You have tears for them because you realize what they're missing out on. And what we're hearing is Paul's incredible heart as a pastor and as a missionary for God's people. And so he leaves them with this. He said, now I entrust you to God and the message of grace that is able to build you up. Paul has been described by Luke as an encourager, as an encourager, as an encourager, as one who builds up, not as a wolf who tears down and destroys and kills, but as one who builds you up. And I entrust you to God and the message of His grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance. It isn't ours in the first place. It's God given to us through Jesus. With all those He has set apart for Himself, you're not alone. You might feel like you're the only one in the workplace that believes in Jesus. You're not. You might feel like you're the only one in your friend group that wants to talk about something that matters like the Gospel. You're not alone. You might feel like there's nobody around you that that would actually stand up for Jesus in a moment of crisis. You're, You're not alone. There are other people who maybe just don't dare. You're not alone. Because God has set apart for Himself many. I've never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know, these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs. He was a tent maker, Priscilla and Aquila. We talked about that earlier and even the needs of those who are with me. And I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. He's been a constant example of serving other people and being willing to work hard to do it. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. That's the last thing that he says to them. He quotes Jesus. He doesn't even come up with the phrase himself. If you've got a red-letter Bible, that phrase is going to be in red letters. He leaves them with the statement, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them. They all cried tears. They all cried and embraced and kissed him goodbye. They were sad most of all because he had said they'd never see him again. And then they escorted him down to the ship. What are you doing in your life to encourage other believers? What are you doing in your life to encourage God's church and God's people? See, there's encouragers and there's discouragers. There's uniters and dividers. Wolves are dividers. Paul was a uniter. And just like we get to decide what we believe about Jesus, we get to decide how it is that we're going to conduct ourselves in the world, not as a perfect person, but as one who is saved by a perfect person. Are you going to be a uniter or are you going to be a divider? Are you going to be a missionary or are you going to be a wolf? 
Are you going to live for Jesus or are you going to live for you? What is it that you're doing with your life? What is the thing that you stand for that you couldn't imagine not being able to do? Paul gives us this incredible example, and he's not quite done yet because he's got some journeying back to Jerusalem that we're going to get to. Paul's on a mission. He knows what he's there for. He knows what he's living his life for. We as a church are on a mission. Hasn't changed in 12 and a half years. We know what God called us to. We've been working on it. We're working on it today. We're going to continue working on it into the future. We know what God has called us to. Paul was called to missions all over his part of the world. We're called to support missionaries around the world, but to be missionaries right here where we live. If you read the people who study these things, about 70% of the people that you encounter on any given day are not going to heaven. 70% of them don't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. They might go to church. They might be very religious. They might have the language down. They might be very spiritual. But by their own admission, they haven't put saving trust in Jesus. 70% of the people. And so it begs the question, what are we as a church going to do? Well, we talk about that. We're, we're going to make a difference in this community, starting with our youngest of our young, going all the way through to the oldest of our old. We're going to make a difference by speaking the truth of God's Word and then encouraging you to go out and share it with other people. But what are you going to do with your life? Paul, at whatever cost of his life it was, Paul was going to preach the good news of Jesus. And that's what we're called to do. So what will you do? Let's pray. God, thank you for Paul. Thank you for his passion. Thank you for his missionary and pastor's heart for your people. Thank you, God, for the way that he was not shy about telling the truth when it was not popular. We have so many examples of people who lashed out physically, verbally, violently against Paul. And God, a lot of us in our own ways probably have a little bit of an understanding of what that's like. We feel like we've been attacked, persecuted, oppressed, mocked, made fun of, just for believing in you. So God, my prayer is simply this, that you would be so real to us, that your Holy Spirit would make Jesus so alive and so clear in our hearts and in our minds, in our very souls, God, that we can't do anything but live for him. Make it so clear that there is a heaven and that there is a hell and eternity is in the balance for every human being. Help us to be more like Paul. Help us to be people who serve others and to serve you, who even at whatever personal price there might be, we can't help but tell people the truth of who you are and what you've done for us in Jesus. God, help us to be those kind of Christians. In Jesus' name, amen. I just had a huge aha moment. My job is to talk and put people to sleep. Your job is to play awesome music and wake them up. Yeah, thank you for playing awesome music. On that note, I'll tell you what I told the guy at the church that time. Uh, thank you for being here. If you happen to fall asleep because you had a late night or a long day or whatever it was and you still came to church in the morning, thank you for being here. I mean, like, seriously, God's here. And so thank you for being here. I, I, maybe I should be offended by it, but I'm really not. Thank you for being here. Uh, Bat. Our Bike Against Human Trafficking uh, crew is heading into Yellowstone National Park this weekend, which is interesting because it presents a whole new set of traffic problems and a whole new set of wild animal problems. And so we want to keep praying for them. Uh, they're doing their thing. While you go through your July and you go through your August, they are just going to keep on biking across the country, raising money for uh, fighting human trafficking. On that note, we talked about The Sound of Freedom. The movie is out there on the topic. Uh, next Sunday... 
we thought it would be appropriate with everything that's been going on talking about that and the movie that's out. Uh, we have invited uh, the YFC director out of Walmer and his wife spoke at the mayor's prayer breakfast in Walmer this year. And he, they are passionate about getting the word out about what human trafficking is, the realities of it, and what we can do about it. We've invited them to come and speak here next Sunday. So they will be here at both services. Because of some media that they're going to be using, it will, both services will be inside. You don't want to miss this one. If you were at the prayer breakfast, you can tell other people about it. Uh, bring your friends. It is a topic. Uh, there's an awful lot of the world that's got a lot at stake to say that all this is conspiracy. It isn't. It's reality. And for a lot of people, it is horrible reality. And so it will be appropriate for all age groups and audiences. might give you an opportunity to talk to some things uh, about your kids when you go home. Uh, they're not going to say anything that's going to be provocative or um, in any way troublesome. Uh, they've assured us of that, but you don't want to miss it. They'll be here next Sunday. Uh, on that note, the, uh, the folks that are biking have a simple phrase that they use, do something that does something. Just do something that does something. God's given you gifts and abilities and passions and ideas. And for some of you, you know what, maybe that's a gift and a love to serve people. Maybe it's just an ability to love people. Maybe you are one of those people like Paul to encourage people. Uh, maybe you're one of those who just loves praying. We've got folks here right now that if you need someone to pray with you or pray for you, they would love the opportunity because God has given them a desire and a gift to pray with and for people then pray for people. Maybe God has given you ability to make money and given you a heart you love to give. Whatever it is that God has called you to do, do something that does something. Do something with the gifts that God has given you. And for all of us, the one thing we share in common is there are so many people that are dying because they don't know who Jesus is. Maybe you're the one that God's going to put in their path this week to start that conversation and to open that door. Thanks for coming, folks. We've got one more song before we go. Have a great week. Hope to see you again next Sunday.